is showing that gold is keeping up pretty well. Gold is doing very well, all-time high in China. And then you see the average premium in August rose to a record high. I talk about this all the time, at least once a month. I will bring you the price differential on the Shanghai Gold Exchange. I will show that to you. I noticed that it went up from an average of about $43 earlier this year to, I think, $57 over the U.S. contract price. We're talking about contract prices on the exchanges. We can see now it's reached an all-time high in differential uh, way above what it normally is. So gold is just trading a lot higher in China in a more physically demanded market than it is in the U.S. Welcome to Gold Silver Pros. Hey everybody, this is your host, Rob Keens of goldsilverpros.com. This is the weekly market wrap for September uh, 18th, 2023, about halfway through September, the first month of the new school year. I know a lot of your kids are back in the school. Mine certainly is as a freshman in high school. And we're turning more into the fall in a few days. We officially reach fall and we've got cooler weather here in Texas. Low 90s for us, which is about a 15 degree break from what we had had as short as a week to a week and a half ago. Definitely appreciate that. A lot of news to talk about today, guys, on the state of the economy. A lot of big news coming out. Uh, so much to talk about. In fact, we're just going to jump right into it. I always start off with the economic data. Then we go into stories of the week, and then we do the gold and silver prices. And I just wanted to focus this week more on the macro and more on the stories. They're going to take precedence and we'll just cover the gold price shortly here because I think what's happening right now in the economy is going to drive much higher gold and silver prices in the future. And we're talking about maybe a month to two months out when we start to see this. Wow. The biggest thing from last week is a return of inflation. Now we did see inflation kick up just a tad last month. I think it was up from 3.1 to 3.2 or maybe 3.0 to 3.2 on the CPI. Well, the consumer price index is now up 0.6%. That's right, up 0.6% to an official uh, over the previous month to an official 3.7%. That's a half a percent move. And the overall inflation rate, CPI, this is a government inflation rate. Last month, it was 3.2, as I said. Now it's 3.7. The consumer price index is starting to get into its second phase of inflation. Remember, all year I've been talking about the several phases of inflation when you get into a potential hyperinflationary type of situation, which I think we're heading into with the dollar. We had that big round of inflation last year. The Fed raised interest rates. Uh, the Fed would have told you that they think that they had addressed the issue in the economy. They stopped raising interest rates for a while. We had a little bit of period of deflation in prices, but now inflation is back. And not only is inflation back, but it's back on lower production. That's the key there. Uh, core CPI year over year, 4.3%. In addition, jobless claims are up. Last month, they were 216,000. Now we're at 220. Producer prices are up. They went up to 0.7% this month above last month. Last month, it was up 0.3% over the previous month. All prices are up. Jobs are down. Retail sales are ticked up by 0.1% from 0.5% increase last month to 0.6%. But when you uh, account for the increase in inflation, uh, Retail sales are actually down significantly. That's right. Inflation is up, which is causing the overall retail sales number to go up. But inflation is higher than the change in actual sales. So we're selling less goods. We're actually in deflation of sales or deflation of production, which will eventually lead to a deflation of GDP or a negative GDP. Well, prices are going up. That's called stagflation, ladies and gentlemen. 
business inventories are flat. Nobody's taking on additional inventory. You're not seeing an inventory ramp up. That means there's not increased demand in the marketplace. Import prices are also up. That means inflation is coming back to the United States. In terms of things that we are buying from overseas, U.S. import uh, prices have ticked up for the second straight month to 0.5%. The Empire State Manufacturing Survey turned around. Last month, it was a negative 19. That was a crash. Now it's up 1.9. That means that people believe that manufacturing is coming back. But we're going to talk about how the union disputes are going to affect overall manufacturing going forward. Capacity utilization in the economy ticked up only slightly, 0.2% to a total of 79.7%. That means about 20 uh, and 20.3% of our capacity in the economy is not being used. That's not great. It means that we're not near full capacity and it's been ticking down most of the time, which I suspect means we're headed into a recession along with everything else, along with everything else. And consumer sentiment also fell from a reading of 69.5 last month to 67.7. The biggest story or one of the biggest stories is the striking unions. Uh, title here from a CNBC story is striking unions impacting the economy at a level not seen in decades, published today at 1.44 Eastern time. The headline is so far, the United Auto Workers stoppage has impacted just a small portion of the workforce with limited implications for the broader economy. However, if things heat up and it turns into an all out strike, bringing into play the 146,000 of those working at Ford, Jim and Stellantis, that could change things. August alone saw some 4.1 million labor hours losses here, the most for a single month since August of 2000. Potential pay raises have raised the specter that inflation, which abated recently from 40 years highs, could be stickier as unions fight for higher ground. So in other words, the wages have been stagnating for so long that unions are starting to come back and say, with that inflation, people can't make ends meet and they're demanding more money. What's going to happen to inflation? Well, as uh, wage earners demand more, prices have to go up. You're going to see more and more inflation coming forward as the unions start to strike. From the article at CNBC, it says, quote, the auto worker strike is the latest in a series of labor management conflicts that economists say could start having significant growth impacts if they persist. So far, the UAW stoppage has impacted just a small portion of the workforce with limited implications for the broader economy. But it is part of a pattern of labor management conflicts that has resulted in the most missed hours of work in some 23 years, according to the Labor Department statistics. Quote, the immediate impact of the auto worker strike will be limited, but that will change if the strike broadens and is prolonged. Ian Shepherdson, chief economist at Pantheon Macroeconomics, said on a client note Monday. In that case, Shepherdson sees a potential 1.7% point quarterly hit to GDP at a time when many economists still fear that U.S. could tip into recession in the coming months. Auto production amounts for 2.9% of GDP. So if 146,000 of the workers go on strike, it could actually knock GDP down 1.7% by itself at only three auto companies because auto manufacturing is 3% of GDP. A broader strike would also complicate policymaking for the Federal Reserve, which is trying to bring down inflation without tipping the economy into contraction. The problem for the Fed is it would be impossible to know in real time how much any slowing in economic growth could confidently be pinned on the strike and how much could be due to other factors, notably to hit the consumption from the restart of student loan payment, Shepard and said. Remember, we covered student loan payments back, the $1.5 trillion program that could wreck the banking system. Now we have labor strikes and millions of labor hours lost. August alone saw 4.1 million labor hours lost 
this year, the most for a single month since 2000, according to the Labor Department. What do we have in 2000? The tech crisis. That was a recession, ladies and gentlemen. Lots of stoppages going on there. The other big story of the week are gas prices. Gas prices are now above 90 bucks, and they've never been this high this time of year. Let's state that again. Oil prices have jumped back above $90 a barrel for the first time since November of 2022, and they're the highest at this time of year than they've ever been. That is another sign of inflation coming to us, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, prices at the pump, according to Bloomberg, are at a record high for this time of year, surpassing prior seasonal highs in 2022, 2012, and 2008. Notice how the highest prices came in the last 15 years, meaning we're having higher oil prices. And I'll show you some charts on that in a moment than, than we've seen since the 80s and 90s. And it's been consistently high since the tech crash. In other words, since the tech crash, oil prices have been at a different level and continue to march up. And during this presidential administration, they've been the highest of the last three, including Trump and Obama's. The administration has drained the strategic petroleum reserve. Gas prices have risen as well. I want to show you some of the charts. So we're going to go to a share screen here real quick and probably stay there for the rest of the presentation as we get deeper into the data part. This is crude oil, WTI crude futures rose above $91 per barrel on Monday. The highest levels in over 10 months amid expectations of a widening market deficit in the fourth quarter due to extended supply cuts by Saudi Arabia and Russia, as well as hopes of a demand recovery in China. Although there have been some cuts in supply, you can see here that oil prices have been elevated dating back to when the tech crisis. This is the tech crisis in 2000. And over that time frame, the last 20 years, we've seen all time highs. Now, in May of 2008, we saw an all time high in WTI of $140. And then it subsequently crashed down later that year in January, or I'm sorry, the beginning of next year, January 2009 to $41.98. This, I believe, was not supply and demand driven as much as it was speculator driven and you saw the crash, but you see that you've had elevated oil prices since then. Now we did dip down during the pandemic to $15.46. Actually, oil futures went slightly negative in complete backwardation, if you will, during a short time frame, meaning prices had risen too high for the demand, which was crashing because of the COVID pandemic and shutting down of uh, the economies across the world, but that was short term. And since then, demand has returned and driven prices higher. Now, we did say May of 2022, a high of $112.25 on the WTI. We're not quite there yet, but notice the persistence of oil prices in this range. This is your range right here from a bottom of about 69 to top of about 139, and we're staying in there. And I think given the current inflation and some of the, the supply cuts by OPEC and Russia, we're going to continue to see higher prices. We'll see how long that persists. But you can see over the month, both crude Oil and Brett measures have been up from 12.5% to 14.5%. I don't think those are coming down anytime soon. This from a zero hedge story. Uh, we're going to talk about gold prices and renminbi in China. That's another big story for the week. Gold has reached an all-time high in Chinese currency. That's right. Gold has reached an all-time high in Chinese currency. And here is that chart, 1399.3671. Gold has reached an all-time high in Chinese currency, matching a high that had gotten earlier near 2020 in the pandemic. When you saw that, this chart looks a lot like that cup and handle pattern I've been talking about in the U.S. markets, except for the fact that we're hitting higher highs in China, or we haven't quite done that in the U.S. Remember, China is a more physically traded market on the Shanghai. I've talked about that incessantly over the last year and shown the China's charts on the Shanghai Gold Exchange many times uh, 
lots of deliveries in the gold market. I believe over 70% deliveries. This is more of a physical price, meaning physical demand for gold in China is reaching all time highs. Chart two, gold and renminbi has outperformed most assets so far in 2023. The S&P 500 has done well. Gold, when measured in Chinese currency, the biggest physically delivered market that I know of with, with publicly published data is showing that gold is keeping up pretty well. Gold is doing very well, all time high in China. And then you see the average premium in August rose to a record high. I talk about this all the time, at least once a month, I will bring you the price differential on the Shanghai Gold Exchange. I will show that to you. I noticed that it went up from an average of about $43 earlier this year to I think $57 over the US contract price. We're talking about contract prices on the exchanges. We can see now it's reached an all time high in differential uh, way above what it normally is. So gold is just trading a lot higher in China in a more physically demanded market than it is in the US. As we speak right now, goldprice.org has gold at 1931.8, up $8.62 on the day, and silver at 2320, up $0.14, both of them up about a half a percent of where they were. As I said, most of this would be on stories about the markets and a little bit less on gold and silver this week. We haven't had a terrible amount of movement, so no reason to focus too much on it. But as you can see, nice, robust demand in the gold futures overall. And as we're looking at Friday's data, you can see the dominant month is December of this year, which I expect it to be till the end of the year. And then as we closer to December, uh, participants will roll their trades. It looks probably into February and then into June, a little bit in April as well. Uh, what we had on the tail of the tape, we had a 2,844 contracts roll over to London in the EFP. That's where you take a COMEX trade here in the US and you roll it over to London to get exposure because you can only take deliveries in the current month and September doesn't have a lot of open contracts, only 822. There were only 14 physical deliveries. That means if you want the physical, you're going to use the EFP trade mechanism to do it, or you're going to buy directly from the miners, or you're going to make deals directly to people that you know have it on these big uh, bullion storage depositories. That is Friday's data as we go to Thursday's data. And what we see, 3,130 contracts rolled over to London on uh, open interest of 376,000 contracts, total volume of 201. So volume is definitely up from where it was. The last few weeks, I think this is an indication that gold and silver are about to get frothy. We're getting into historically the strongest months for gold and for silver here in the United States, October, November, December. We're almost there. We're halfway through September. So you're starting to see trade go up on the paper markets. Going to Wednesday's data, 161,000 total volume, 2,154 contracts over to the London market. Overall open interest, 378,000 contracts. That's nice and robust. Let's see the settlement data. On Monday, we have data up to 1.32 p.m. That's real-time data, almost real-time data, to about 45 minutes ago on the market. As you can see, December's the most heavily traded contract at 129,000 trades so far today, and gold is up $7.20. And on previous or earlier months in the year, it's up a little bit more, uh, as you expect in the near term, up a little bit more. Nice little volume here in the October contract at 2,800 contracts, but definitely December is where most people are trading. Because remember, this is a futures market. This is futures paper. On This is Friday's data. Friday's data as of close, the total day's data, 199,000 contracts in volume, gold up $13.40 to average settlement in 1946.20. This is where you're going to get your prices. Uh, going back to settlements and going back to Thursday's data, as we look at it, Gold was up only about 30 cents on the December contract. So it ended the week with a little bit of a bang on Friday. Let's take a look at silver. 
volume ticked up just a little bit here in the middle of September. Last time it was really elevated was the end of August and the beginning of September for a little bit of deliveries and that type of thing. Silver will come usually after gold in terms of a rise in price or a bull market. So we're starting to see a little frothiness, although not as much in gold. As of Friday's data, we had 67,109 total contract volume on the COMEX EFP over to London, 335, and deliveries only of 13 on the September contract, only 73 contracts open. If we go back to Thursday's data to see what happened, you had 84,603 contracts, 2,110 contracts go over to London, and total uh, open interest at close 115,000 contracts. So definitely a robust market, not quite as as frothy as gold at the moment. Looking at today's data as of 1.32 p.m. on Monday, 18th of September, this is midday data. Most of the trading is on December contract, 43,833 contracts. Silver's up about 11.2 cents to 23,498 on the day. If we go to Friday's data, we see most of the trading again is in December. Estimated volume is 67,109 contracts closing Friday for an average settlement of up 39.2 cents to 23,38. And if we look at the CFTC COT report, we're gonna see what happens there. I haven't even looked at the report yet. I'm just going to go to it live and talk about where those positions matter and what they're doing to gold and silver. Let me blow this up a little bit for you guys. This is a long form report. Don't get intimidated. If you've never seen this before, I'll help you out. I'm going to highlight the silver data right here. You just pick each metal as you go through the report. The big movers, what looked like the producer merchants dropped 2,300 of their shorts and dropped 188 of their longs to go net short about 2,200 contracts. The swap dealers are back to dropping silver shorts again. They dropped 3,610. Now they're still net short 35,411 contracts to 32,681 long, but dropping 3,600 silver contracts in a week is pretty big. They're doing this up and down to make money on the price movements, but you'll notice they've stayed closer to equilibrium to almost being dead even on long and short over the last month. This has been a sea change from where they were earlier this year and even in previous years. Uh, it looks like the managed money dropped a bunch of longs and went short. So they took the other side of the trade from the from the swap dealers and the other reportables also went long and dropped short as well. That is silver going over to gold. This is gold again, as of September 12, 2023. This is the report that we get. We're just gonna read this table that I've highlighted here for gold. Uh, we see producers dropped 2,600 long contracts. Uh, I'm sorry, short contracts. And they went net long about 2000 contracts when all things considered. The swap dealers or the bullion banks dropped a bunch of shorts on gold. Now they've been continuing continuingly dropping shorts on gold with the exception of last week. And I think that they're going to, as gold gets a little bit more frothy, move to more of an even position. But if you look at it, they're still two and a half to one in terms of short positions. The swap dealers are in gold, uh, much more short in gold than they are in silver. The managed money went heavily short in gold, just like they did in silver. Up here in silver, they added 6,352 short contracts. Managed money did. Up here, managed money added 13,309 short. So they're shorting the precious metals as we go into the historically uh, best price increase time for the precious metals. On average, in the third quarter, they go up 3.6%. In the fourth quarter, up 1.5% averaged over time. Some years they'll do more. I think they'll do more on fears of recession and banking system woes. That's my own particular viewpoint on that. That is the data as we look at it. Again, big stories for the week continues to be the union and the effect that it could have on the markets. They're demanding much higher wagers, much like the transportation companies did earlier this year. Unfortunately, yellow acquiesced to the union demands and they basically went bankrupt for all intents and purposes. 
30,000 yellow people, uh, yellow workers lost their jobs after that union agreement. That one didn't work out. You had UPS uh, union successfully negotiating a huge pay increase for their trucker, for their drivers and other workers. And we don't know how that's going to turn out yet. It's too early to see, but that's going to put upward prices on shipping around the United States because it's a big wage increase. Big wage increases coming to the auto unions. I said on Twitter late last week, I didn't think that the, uh, the auto companies would agree to them. But if they're forced to agree to those higher wages, which increase, which the UAW was, there was one graphic put out over Twitter that they were asking for 46% wage increase to work four days and get paid for five. That's right, to work 32 hours and get paid for 40 and the resumption of their old pension plans or old retirement. If the auto companies agree to that, it could force much higher prices for cars and trucks and everything produced in America. That will hamper the ability of the United States auto companies to compete in the market. It will also probably reduce the amount of overall vehicles sold because right now, if you look at the price of automobiles, most people in America cannot afford the average price automobile. That's right. Most people in the, in the United States cannot afford the average price automobile. That's led because of two things. One, the higher prices, but also the interest rates. And you put both together, what's happening is you have a widening out of the time that they're financing vehicles. I remember growing up, if you took more than a three-year loan on a vehicle, something was wrong with you. And usually you put 20% down. Now people are putting nothing down and they want to go to 72 months, to 90 months and further and further out. And that's because of the prices and the interest rates increasing at the same time. It looks like inflation is here to stay. Manufacturing is wanting to make a rebound in the United States, but I don't think that it will because the consumer doesn't have the money to pay for it. So I think what we're going to have happen is high inflation, high interest rates. The Fed will be forced to react again, probably do some more, uh, I would imagine, some tightening and a rising inflation environment. And that's going to cause uh, rates, uh, the cost of money to go up, which is going to affect corporate America and jobs and everything else. And I think eventually this is going to lead to a very, very deep recession. That's what I've been saying uh, on this weekly market wrap up since I've been doing it. And what I wrote in my book in 2009, I think is now coming true. We're in that next recessionary phase. Of course, we did have 14 years of money printing and 14 years of prosperity, which has led to the most indebted consumer, the most indebted corporate sector, and the most indebted nation we've had pretty much in our history when you add them all up together. And I don't think that that bodes too, too well overall for the economy, which I think is going to hit deep recession, like I said, but I think also higher gold and silver prices. That's going to do it for today's weekly market wrap up. Stay tuned next week. As we go over the economic data, the big stories of the week, what is driving the economy, and we tell you what's happening in gold and silver in detail. 10 next time, Rob Keats with goldsilverpros.com. Hey, thanks for watching. We selected these videos just for you. Check them out. And remember, $4.99 a month keeps the lights on and the channel going. So join our Gold Silver Pro supporter membership. We appreciate your support. Keep stacking.